0: that gets an applause after she does the, (laughs) oh man. Uh, You may not know this if you haven't watched online a lot recently, but uh, um, that was one take uh, and she wouldn't do it a second time. There's a slightly different video record for online. So for online, Seth just held Dottie and then Seth said all the words. Seth is Dottie's dad. Um, Because after the first time she was like, I'm I'm done, dad, I'm done reading this. (laughs) And so he just held her and she sat there kind of, in begrudging submission. So, um, <laughs> hey, I was also thinking while we were singing um, before, you know, we, we sang this word over and over and over again, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And you may not know this or maybe you've heard it before and it's been a while. Um, the word means God be praised, right? And, and, and it's, a, it's an exclamation, it's a declaration, and we believe that when we worship, we're joining with creation, we're joining with angels that for all times have been singing and will for all times be singing that one day we'll all get together, right? The song even says that one day we're, we're all going to be there, every knee will bow and, and we'll sing this, God be praised, God be praised. Um, I was thinking, you know, uh, a lot of people have observed and noticed that for the Jewish people that any time they went to war or any they entered into conflict or into uncertainty or into difficulty, you know who went out first? It was the worship leaders. It was the singers. They led out in singing, in celebration. There, there's a reason why, uh, th- this may not seem real important to you, but I want you to know our heart behind it. There's a reason why we sing at the beginning of service and then we close with singing. Because we want to... Prepare our hearts. We going to come in here. We want to remind ourselves that God still sits on the throne. No matter what your week looked like this week, God still sits on the throne. That, that no matter um, what you've been just wrestling with or struggling with or whatever beliefs you carry into this room, into this place, that God still sits on the throne. ahead of us, and every single one of us has a week ahead of us full of uncertainty and the unknown, and that we lead ourselves as a community, as individuals, out into what God's calling us to, into uh, a future that he knows but is uncertain to us with singing and rejoicing. Um, there's a song, there's a worship song, and this has, really has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just felt like I needed to share it. There's this worship song, and it says, worship is our weapon, Right? And that it is a way we prepare our hearts for the recognition that there is uncertainty, there is darkness, there is pain in the world in front of us. And, and with all that, um, I, I also wanted to point out and acknowledge again, um, I just want to say how grateful I am for the people week after week that stand up here and lead us out into spiritual warfare, that lead us into the throne room of God. And uh, uh, Linda, this week, um, so grateful for your willingness to be here all the time. <clears throat> Any of the band members, um, if you don't know, Jason's not here this week because um, this last Wednesday he had uh, eye surgery. I'll spare you the details because I have a queasy stomach and you don't want to see me throw up trying to explain it to you. Um, but he had eye surgery and, and so you can continue to pray for him for recovery for that, that it'd fix some things in our eyes and all that kind of stuff. But um, this is an important and special thing that we do together to worship and sing together. Um, with that, let's let's read uh, Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews. We're in verse 10 today. We're going to look at a couple verses, and I'm going to read them all to you, and and then we're going to talk about the argument and all that kind of good stuff and what it means for us. So, so it says this, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. Now, I was talking about Jesus. Okay, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will—they will perish. Right, the works of your hands will perish, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment, and and like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? You will never change. The things you made, the writer of Hebrews says, the things you made, those things are going to get old. They're going to wear out, right? All of us are wearing out. Uh, I'm getting, I saw on um, on social media this week, I saw a test to decide if you're old, okay? Um, I'm still in an age bracket that I that I am not sure yet. Um, and the test was this, you're supposed to put your socks and shoes in front of you without them on, and then you're supposed to pick up one foot and pick up one sock, and without putting your foot, on, foot down, put the sock on, and then put bend down and get the shoe and put the shoe on and then switch feet and if you do without breaking a hip (laughs) right I didn't try because I knew I had to preach this week so but all the things of this world will get old and will wear out but you will never change you will never fade you will never get weaker you will never get older the writer of Hebrews is saying The writer of Hebrews is making this argument, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, the writer of Hebrews is making this argument that Jesus is superior. This is what the book of of Hebrews is about. Jesus is better than everything, right? Um, Quantitatively and qualitatively. That Jesus is better than everything. And he begins, right? It's going to progressively get bigger. He's going to eventually end with talking about Jesus is bigger than the sacrificial system. His sacrifice is better than the sacrifice of, of lambs and goats. That Jesus is better high priest. That he's better than the, the priests who offer the sacrifice. He's better than the law. He's better than the, 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 the promised land. He's better than um, the, the, even the messengers. He is a greater messenger. That everything else in this world will fade, but he will not. He will never change. The question I thought of as we were working through um, Hebrews Hebrews 1, right? This big proclamation, Jesus is better. His message is better. Listen to Jesus. Fix your eyes. We talked about this, right? Um, Hebrews tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Don't get distracted by these other things of the world. Sometimes even these things that are really good. Do you know, do you know the, the story of the golden snake? Oh, sorry, the bronze snake? There's a snake, there's a plague going on in the camp, and God tells them to set up a snake on a pole in the middle of the, of the place, and anybody that looks at it would be healed, right? And then you know what? They, so that's good, right? Is that, that, we can all agree, right? That's a good thing. But you know what they end up doing? They end up worshiping the snake. Yeah, probably not a good idea, Joe Hoover says. (laughs) And Joe Hoover is a smart man. Probably not a good idea. And even good things from God. This is one of the things we talked about in one of the first weeks, that even good things from God, if they become God, things become idolatrous. And they become wicked and bad and not good. And the rite of Hebrews says that Jesus' message is better than that even of the messengers who come from heaven. So it made me think this question. How, how, how do we make sure our eyes are fixed on Jesus? Because if even angels could come and distract us, if, if angels from heaven could come... Right? Do, do you know this? Do you know, do you know that Satan is an angel? Right? Do you know that at least according to the book of Job, that Satan spends uh, some amount of time in the courtroom of God? Do you know that? That's where the book of Job begins, is that Satan is in the throne room of God, having a conversation with God. Satan comes, and, and Scripture tells us he masquerades himself as an angel of light. So if, if, if someone like Satan, if an angel like Satan could come masquerade as light and distract our hearts from the things God calls us to, how do we make sure that we're listening to Jesus? And our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Um, the writer of Galatians, well, Paul, he wrote the book of Galatians, right? He says this in Galatians 1. But even if we, or look at this, an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed or to be damned. Like Paul recognizes, he's telling the church of Galatia, there could be this moment where even someone come masquerading as a messenger from God, as an angel of light. So how do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Like, let's be honest. Let's not not, um, ignore the elephants in the room, okay? How do you know that I'm not masquerading. Get a little uncomfortable for a moment in the room? How do you know that the message that I'm declaring to you, right? Paul says that if they declare anything, even an angel, because Paul's actually critiquing, not that angels have come declaring a different message, but there have been different preachers who've come declaring different messages. And how easily their hearts have been distracted by smooth-talking People who've declared to them a totally different message of the gospel or even maybe not just a total, the most dangerous um, is just the small distortion of the gospel. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus is better. The enemies of the gospel in Galatians say, yeah, Jesus is amazing and this. So how, do we, how do we make sure That our eyes are fixed on Jesus. If we live in a world where demons and dark spirits can masquerade as light and people can stand on platforms and declare allegiance to Jesus and preach a message contrary to the message of the gospel, it doesn't take long on the internet, right? It doesn't take long on the internet to find people who have used this book to say whatever they wanted to say. This is a really big book. Did you know that? It says it says a lot of things in this. And as a, a professor I was listening to this week reminded me of an old anecdote about you can make the Bible say anything you wanted to say, right? Did you know this? You you can make the Bible affirm anything you want to affirm. Here, let me uh, let me just show you. Okay, um, it says that Judas went out and hung himself. Therefore, go and do likewise. (laughs) And what you are to do, go and do quickly. Right? All I did was quote you a scripture. So how is it, how is it in a world of so many voices, we make sure that our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that we're not distracted by... um, uh, social moral claims, that we're not distracted by extra, like in Jesus, in, in, in Paul's day, it was, it was uh, the Judaizers. How do we not get distracted by people adding on to the gospel? How do we not get distracted by people who are drawing away from the gospel and who Jesus is? The writer of Hebrews, right, he, just a little bit later, he gives us this little warning here, Hebrews 2, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. This is language that Paul uses elsewhere in another spot where he's talking about being tossed by every doctrine you hear instead of having your eyes fixed on Jesus. So how is it that we make sure their eyes are fixed on Jesus. There's a group of people, um, the, their story is actually very small. It's, it's very tiny. It, it comes in Acts 17, and um, it's a very small passage. We don't know a lot about these people other than this very small passage. But um, what they do and how they respond to the gospel and how they respond to Paul is um, so unique in a lot of ways that people have actually even named their churches after this group of people. Right, And there have been movements that have been after this group of people. So look, Acts 17, it says this. Let me read it to you. The brethren, they were sending him from Thessalonica. Things didn't go well there. Um, a lot of Paul's life, if you ever believed a health and wealth gospel, it's because um, you just haven't read the book of Acts. Um, because uh, if that's the case, then Paul um, was a, a not very good follower of Jesus because most of his life is just... Literally, literally most of his life is just a shipwreck, right? Um, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded, right? They, they were higher-minded. They were thoughtful. They, um, we'll talk a little bit about it in a minute, but they used their brains, right? More than those in Thessalonica... For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Uh, That's basically what we know about the Bereans. And maybe you've heard of a Berean or you've heard of a church that carries the name Berean. Um, It comes from this story. It comes from the recognition of this unique people that devoted themselves daily to the study of God's word. And I saw this example and I I thought maybe if we just look at these three or four little verses that there might be just some things that we could do that would, um, that we could be thoughtful about that might help make sure that We are taking seriously this incredibly important and incredibly dangerous task of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because see, here's the thing. Um, There are so many things drawing away your attention. There are so many things, whether it's um, TV or um, just the world or your job or family or social media. And there are so many things that are drawing our attention and are telling us things. Live your best life. You be you. Oh, did you know this about Jesus and this about Jesus? And you can, you can find anything, just like I could tell you anything. You can find anything online to affirm something you already believe about Jesus. But how is it that we make sure that we're not being distracted or drawn away, but that our eyes are fixed squarely on Jesus, the author and perfecter? Of our faith, and here's some things I noticed in the Bereans. I think some of the reasons that they're um, uh, celebrated as this really unique group of people. And the first one is, is if you look back on the verse, um, look look at where Paul and Silas went. They went into the synagogue of the Jews. These people, they were already walking with other people who were trying to search out Jesus. Maybe not Jesus. They were searching out God. They were in the synagogue, right? They were already in a community of people who were wanting to figure out how do we engage with God? How do we honor God? They were already in community. One of the easiest places for your heart to get picked off and drawn away is in isolation. One of the greatest weapons of the enemy is Shame that leads to isolation because if it's just you and the enemy in a dark room and he's talking to you, there's nobody else there to rebuff the lies of the enemy. If it's just you and you're not meaningfully in community, wrestling with brokenness, wrestling with questions, wrestling with pain and agony and pouring yourself out and pursuing, how is it that a good God does this and doesn't do this? How is it that, that, that God could redeem me? And what does it look like? And how do I deal with this, this thing in me that I still feel over and over and over and over again? That if you're not already in community... You become an easy victim to get picked off. To get picked off. You remember there's a story. um, Daniel, who often, sorry not Daniel, David, who's often honored as a really great king. In a lot of ways, he was a really great king for Israel. In a lot of ways, he was a a really wicked man. And uh, he takes another man's wife um, he takes another man's wife, and then when he gets caught, he tries to cover it up. He tries to cover it up, and then, and then when the husband won't go along with his cover-up, right? When the, when the husband won't go along with the bribe of the king, he has him killed. Do you remember how he has him killed? He sends him to war, and he sends a note with him. Like, how <laughs> how wicked a soul in that moment he sends a note with the soldier, knowing that that soldier will be so faithful and obedient to the king that he won't even open the letter that describes his execution. And you remember how he sends him? He, he tells the commander, he says to push forward and at just the right moment, retreat and leave him isolated, Right? When we are not standing in community, we are in a spiritual war. When we are not standing together, shoulder to shoulder in the battle lines, it is effortless for the enemy to pick you off. It's why it's so important for you to be in groups. It's why it's so important for you to go through Rooted. It's why it's so important for you to be meaningfully connected in a place that you're serving because when we walk and live life with one another, we can do what Scripture tells us to You know, one of the commands it gives us over and over and over again is uh, what people call the one another commands. Did you know you can't one another if you're not with one another? <laughs> right? You can't spur one another on. You can't encourage one another. You can't bear your burdens with one another. Right? You can't do all those things if you're not with one another. We live in such an isolated and lonely culture that some of us don't even realize how lonely we are because we think that it's normal. I listened to one sociologist one time and he talked about how even the way we build our homes uh, facilitates isolation and loneliness, right? If you live in a home, this is probably what your home looks like. Your home probably has a garage on the front of your house and you have a front door that only the, the, the delivery guy uses, right? And when you drive up to your neighborhood from about 500 yards away, you start pushing your little remote entry button, right? And by the time you pull up in your driveway, the garage door's already open. You drive into your garage. You push the button before you even get out of your car. You get out of your car, you walk in right into your living room, and you never once even have an opportunity to make eye contact with another neighbor that you live within feet of that we so have valued our autonomy and our privacy that many of us live in a kind of isolation and loneliness that the first century authors could have never fathomed. If we are going to be people who protect ourselves from being knocked off by the enemy, from believing the lies of Satan, we have to be people who walk honestly and wrestle together in community. Here's here's the second thing. They were in community. Here's the other thing I saw. Um, They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Here's what my note says. Um, They used their brains, Okay. Um, This is maybe just a commentary that I just want to give you. Um, We're going to look at it more in a second when it talks about scripture. Just because something agrees with what you already believe doesn't mean it's true. So much of what we consume is things that affirm what we already believe. And it becomes an echo chamber. And these were people who, um, one translation translated this way because they're trying to kind of get the sense of what the word means in context. They said they were more open-minded, right? And it doesn't mean open-minded as in like anything that came out just drained out and they're like, right? But they were critical thinkers, right? They used the reasoning part of their brain. Our faith is intended to be a thinking kind of faith. For thousands of years, people have wrestled with truths and how do we articulate this and how do we articulate that and how do we, and if we are going to be people who keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we have to be people who are poured into this book and who wrestle with the intellectual complexities of our faith. It does you no favor to be lazy when it comes to using your brain when it comes to our faith. There are hard things we have to think through, and if we do it in community with one another and we wrestle with these hard things and use our brain to think critically about the things that we teach and believe, it will help keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It is astounding to me and I know that I'm going to berate on it again, but it is astounding to me that there is a single person that could believe a health and wealth gospel when they read this book and they look at the world they live in. Because if you use your brain, right? And you think, like what did Jesus say? He said um, take up your cross. <laughs> Not take up your Cadillac. Take up your cross and follow me. The first will be last, and the last will be first. I mean, everything about what is taught in this is an antithesis to those types of messages. And we would do so much better if we used our brain to think critically about what we're hearing and what we're consuming. The third one, and this is um, probably actually the why the Bereans are most well-known. It says this, they are examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I love even um, in the recounting of it, this is, this is probably years or decades later that's recounting um, the story. It, it leaves it in this tense of like, uh, they're still wrestling with it, right? Like they're still sorting things out. It's kind of like when scripture tells us elsewhere to sort out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. That we should be a people who are continuing to pour ourselves through the scriptures. That if we're going to be people who aren't distracted or drawn away by messages um, in this world or in the church or in our social media or by family members, then we are going to be people of this book. We're going to be people who pour ourselves over it over and over and over again. Um, I was having a conversation with some pastors this week and. uh, it's rainy season, so, you know, we, we, didn't, we weren't able to golf. That's what pastors normally do Monday to Friday is just we go golfing. And so instead we just talk. And um, so I was chatting with these other pastors, and uh, one of them was sharing an article he read. And, and the guy said, you know, I've been, I've been preaching uh, for 25 years, and, and uh, so I spend about three hours doing prep a week. And he said this in his article. He said, uh, I spent about three hours doing prep because uh, any sermon I've preached, I've already preached once. In 25 years, there's only so many things that Jesus is telling us to do over and over again. Jesus is telling us to do the same thing, right? He said, I can pull it off and nobody knows. I nail it. Great sermon. I know the context. I know the stuff. I know the thing. Spent about three hours. I organized it. And and we were having this conversation and and this is what I said. I said, um, yeah, um, I I could probably too I could probably, I've been preaching weekly for um, like 16 years now, I could, I could probably get away with it, but I'd never grow, like there'd never be a moment when I was getting ready for a sermon and I'd go, what? When he uses that phrase in Genesis, what? Right? And if we are going to be people who are not distracted or drawn away or tossed by the winds and the waves of this world, then we are going to be people who pour ourselves over this book, who everything in our lives, everything we consume, every truth we believe is filtered through the words of this book. How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? We stay in community with one another. Because then when, um, when I get a dumb idea, I don't know if you know this, um, staff meeting is just basically me coming up with dumb ideas. And Mary laughs because she used to be on staff. She's, she knows I'm not lying. Is, is me coming up with a dumb idea, and then the staff going, haaaah. because we're in community together. And sometimes you're going to come up with dumb ideas about Jesus or about your faith or about the world. And if you're walking with other people and they're going to go, oh, right? So we're in community. We use our brain. We pour ourselves over this book. And then here's the last thing. Here's the last thing I think is important about how we know we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Therefore, many of them believed. If the good news does not produce good fruit, it's not the good news. If the good news does not produce good fruit in you, it's not the good news. If the good news doesn't produce good fruit in our community, then it's not the good news. I, I, this is a little soapbox. I'm going to be honest, okay? It drives me bonkers. It drives me bonkers when, when people are like, well, you know, we're just, um, we're, we're really growing in our faith together. And I go, well, um, like how, how has that impacted anybody around you? Well, you know, I mean, it's just a see Right now, it's just us, right? We're growing. I'm like, here's the thing. The good news in you should produce good fruit in you that is good for those around you. That if what Jesus is doing in you is not bringing goodness to family members and friends and communities and neighbors and churches, then I'm not sure it's either the good news or you're letting the good news do what it's supposed to do in you. That The good news produces good fruit. And so ask this question anytime you're listening to someone or you're looking at a church or you're looking at a preacher or a commentary. Is that producing good fruit. Paul and Silas came to Berea and they preached the gospel, and they, and they were in community together, and they challenged one another. I'm sure there were arguments, right? Because some people started to believe at different parts from other people, and they were arguing. They're like, ah, you know, the Messiah, he couldn't have been homeless. And one guy's like, uh, you know, read Isaiah, Suffering Servant. Like, it sure seems like. And I'm sure they had these wrestlings, and they used their brains, and they poured through this book day and day and day and day. And then you know what happened? Because of the good news, good things began to change in people's lives. The good news produces good fruit. And if the result of a message about Jesus produces selfishness, envy, gossip, anger, violence, I'm not sure it's the good news. But if the good news produces good fruit, scripture tells us what good fruit is. Galatians tells us, look it up. Good fruit. So my hope is today that you'd see a place in your life in these four areas that maybe you're a little weak. right? We're all going to be weak in places. Maybe maybe you're not meaningfully connected with other believers. And maybe the people that you spend most of your life with aren't believers. There's this proverb, you've probably heard it before. It says, um, bad company corrupts good character. It doesn't happen the other direction. And you need to have people around you who are closest to you, who love Jesus and will walk with you and and who will encourage you and build you up. And maybe that's the place you need to start. You need to find some people that you need to live life with meaningfully and honestly. Maybe you need to start using your brain and stop using faith as a cop-out to not think critically about the messages you're consuming about who Jesus is that maybe you need to find ways to pour yourself into this. There's a lot of great resources. One of the great places I'd encourage you to start, if you have no other place, is there's a place called the Bible Project, right? It's, it's, It's rock solid. It's awesome. Bible Project has tons of stuff, okay? Okay? And lastly, is the good news of Jesus producing good fruit in you? Maybe there's some places in your heart that you haven't been letting Jesus work on you and it's been producing a kind of fruit that you see that is unhealthy, toxic, rotten, and not in line with Jesus. And you need to let those things go so that God, the good news of God can start to redeem that part of your life. So that as we pursue these four things, we might keep our eyes fixed solely on Jesus, the author and our perfecter of our faith, who, as we sang at the beginning, hallelujah, God be praised. He is worthy. His throne remains forever. He is good and gracious and worthy of all of our praise. And I hope that with every piece of effort we have, with every part of our lives, we might worship and adore the King who is worthy.